Mindfulness Mode 86. There are two people in this world. They're either sieves or they're kettles. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Thanks so much for joining us here in Mindfulness Mode. To thank you for listening, I'll send you a free copy of my book. I teamed up with author Brian Tracy, along with some other entrepreneurs, to create the best-selling book called Cracking the Success Code. You'll learn more about my story and how I became an anti-bullying advocate, which later led to mindfulness and my mindfulness coaching. Get the book free at mindfulnessmode.com cracking. Enter your name and email and you'll have your book downloaded in no time. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Rye Taylor on the line today. Hey, Rye, are you in mindfulness mode? I certainly am, Bruce. I can't wait for this today. <laughs> That's great. Rye Taylor is a minister and storyteller. He's also the father of two boys and uses his mindfulness practice to stay focused on being the best dad he can be. He believes in living in the moment and living life to the fullest. Although he's not actively working as a minister these days, Rai is busy helping entrepreneurs build a better business by telling a better story. So Rai, tell Mindful Tribe, what does mindfulness mean to you? You know, mindfulness is, and the word that I use in, in, is intentionality, but it's the same thing. It's about really focusing in and uh, being truly aware of what you're doing each and every moment, each and every step, and being intentional about that. Oh, I like that word intentionality. Did you come up with that word yourself or did you read it in a book? Where did you start to get to the point where you called it intentionality? You know, it's something that's just stuck with me and I'm not sure I would give credit if I knew where to give credit, but it's something that's a word that's just stuck with me over and over through the years. It's just about being intentional. And how to live a life, you've got to always live it in an intentional way. So that's just a a word that stuck with me through these years. So how do you make your day intentional, Rye? Oh, my day starts with something called a storyline. And it is a one-page sheet, and I can't get credit for this. This is actually by a gentleman named Donald Miller, who is also a storyteller. And Donald Miller has created this beautiful one-page sheet that's called a storyline. And it is a, uh, basically, it gives you everything that you need in one day. So there are three projects, a little to-do list, your appointments, and what I love about it, in fact, let me pull this up so I get it right. What I love about it is he asked two questions. If I could live today over again, I would blank. And the things I get to enjoy today. And what I love is that I answer those questions before my day ever gets started. So if I got to live the day over, I still have the full day to live. Mm-hmm. So I can actually achieve those things that are written down that I want to achieve before it ever gets started. Well, that sounds like the movie A Moment in Time. Is, isn't that the name of that movie? You know, I'm not familiar with that movie. 
Okay, well, there's a movie that just came out recently with Rachel McAdams, and she's from our area here in Canada. So I saw the movie right away, and it's all about a character who is given this power that he can replay his day. He can relive his day. And so he does. He relives his day several times on several occasions. And, well, it's just a fascinating movie. So check it out if you, if you get a chance to, right? Definitely will be. That'll be on the uh, first of the next Netflix or Red Box. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rye, I know that you're trained as a minister. I know that you've worked as a minister. And I'm really anxious to hear your story about being min- a minister and how this worked for you or, or didn't work for you. What's your story here? Yeah, most definitely. You know, it started a long time ago. The first time I preached, I preached in a place called Zimbabwe, Africa, and it was in a a little city named Kamativi, where we lived. And it's city I use in the uh, the biggest uh, or smallest sense of the word, maybe I should say, because ultimately it was just a small group, a small village uh, that had a tin mine in it. But I preached when I was 13 years old for the first time. And my dad was a missionary, my family were were missionaries, and I was a missionary kid. So I grew up with that mentality that this was just something that I needed to do. And my dad was a minister, his dad was a minister, his dad was a minister, and it goes back several generations of uh, pastors in the family. So I went and did exactly that. I got my degree, my uh, bachelor's and master's degree in ministry, in some form or another, Christian ministry, and then Master of Divinity. And um, I realized, though, that several years into ministry that it wasn't the best fit for me. I realized that I wasn't living the story, the adventure narrative that I wanted to be living. So it wasn't exciting enough. Was it lacking an element of excitement for you? Well, yeah, you could say that. It, it, it Really, the, the pivotal moment, the moment that I knew that this wasn't right, I was actually sitting on a parishioner's porch. We were swinging back and forth, and I've changed the name to protect the innocent. But they were talking about Aunt Eunice's bunions. And I, <laughs> I thought, I'm, I'm on the wrong path here. This isn't what I am supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be inspiring people to action. There are people that are built better to serve this individual than I am. And I was actually taking away from that person by not fully being able to be present. And I was also taking away from that position because somebody was better suited for that than I was. Right. And I'm sure that moment culminated from maybe months or years of feeling you were not doing the thing you were meant to do. Most definitely. And there are a lot of ways. And and I am a Christ follower and I do serve God and I still serve God each and every day. But there are a lot of different ways to serve God. And full-time ministry is just one of those ways. Now, do you still do sermons occasionally? Do you still act as a, as a minister at times? Yes, on occasion I will do that. I've been invited in several different locations to do that type of thing. Most of the time I'm a speaker more than I am a preacher these days. But yes, in fact, I have had that opportunity, and it's always great to get back behind the pulpit again. So tell us, Rye, about that moment, that day, when you came to the realization that you were no longer going to be a minister, that you had to move in a different direction. Were you able to be mindful or intentional, as you talked about, or maybe that wasn't part of your life back at that time? 
Well, I had to make a decision because all my education was in ministry. Everything that I had built up to, everything that I knew from my childhood was ministry. Everything was focused on this one particular thing, being a full-time minister. And how old were you at that time, Rye? How old was I? No, I was 31, I think, 30, 31. So, I mean, this was fairly, I mean, I I would say I was middle age, maybe young middle age. And Uh so this was quite a, quite a moment for me because I had been a pastor up to that point all the way through college. Like I said, the first sermon I preached was when I was 13. Yes. And so this was all that I knew and I didn't have anything else to say fall back on. So it took a lot of, of prayer and meditation at that point in time. It took a lot of, of discernment trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? If this isn't where I'm supposed to be headed, how on earth do I make a step outside of the only thing that I've ever known in my life? And Rye, were you married at the time? I certainly was, yeah. And we've had our first boy at that stage. So Blaze was Blaze was a little one at that stage. We were going to have our second soon thereafter. And so yeah, it was it was a, a big moment for me just trying to figure this all out. I bet it was. And so tell us, you mentioned meditation. Was meditation or is meditation a part? Was your meditation a part of your life back then and tell us about what form it took. Well, I combine those two. Prayer and meditation to me is the same thing, at least in my life and my personal life. And so what that looks like ultimately is, yes, it was. It's prayer and just being quiet, listening, being still and listening to God's voice. There's a scripture that talks about God actually speaking in a still, small voice. And that's what I was listening for. I was actually listening for that still, small voice and hoping that he would give me the direction and the answer that I needed. There was one thing that I knew that I could do, and there's one thing that I was <laughs> asking God, which direction do I need to head? And it's, it's interesting that that's actually where podcasting became a thing for me. I started with a podcast that, uh, that year, and it was a terrible podcast. In fact, it's not even on iTunes anymore. <laughs> you, did you take it off? Oh, yes. It, it got taken off. In fact, I think you can still find it on Stitcher. I'm almost afraid that you can find it on Stitcher. <laughs> but it started with something that I knew that I could still speak. I could explain myself in story. And I knew that was a something, a strength of mine. And so I leveraged that strength in a podcast. Problem was, I didn't have any strategy behind that podcast. But one thing led to another. That opened up a whole door of full-time voiceover work. And uh, that's kind of led me all the way back full circle into podcasting now. So did you ever struggle with the income part of it? I mean, you were a minister. You were being paid to be a minister, I'm sure. It it must be a major struggle to suddenly decide you're not going to do that anymore. You're going to quit and move in a different direction. There's a whole financial element to that. Most definitely, because all of my education, everything was in that. Still had student loans. And here we were trying to make a shift. I didn't get out of ministry right away when I first started a podcast. I didn't, I didn't see how that was a feasible way to make a full-time living at that point. In right. time. But what it did is it gave me the opportunity to at least explore other options and open other doors to see what can I leverage about myself? What strengths do I really have? What adventures am I supposed to have in this life? And so it's about... Really, it was about leveraging that time, praying about what I should be doing and seeking 
how I could leverage the strengths and talents that God gave me. So you practiced mindfulness in the form of prayer and meditation. And what came out? What was the glimmer? I know that you've told us you decided to do storytelling, but how did this work for you? How did you end up making money? Just tell us that next step. Yeah, most definitely. Well, what happened is I got into the voiceover world. People started paying me to do my uh, voiceover stuff with commercials and podcast intros and outros and audiobooks and all sorts of different types of things. But again, here I was starting to make money in something different. But you're not going to believe this, Bruce. I'm not a huge fan of just being a voiceover guy. It's not my thing. So I went in a different direction, started making money at it, and realized that I had, again, hit a dead end, that it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And that's why I got back into podcasting, because podcasting is storytelling. What you do and how you share things is all about telling an intimate story, a story that nobody else has. And see, you is is an interviewee or is an interviewer, Bruce. You get to let me share that with you today. And see, this is so powerful, and it's such an intimate platform. I had to get back into it. And so I did. I started diving into that, pouring value into select people. And we talked about this before, Bruce, but again, it's just about pouring into the right people. And there are two people in this world. They're either sieves or they're kettles. I'm convinced of this. And you pour value into a sieve, and what happens is it leaks all the way through. Your value just goes right through them. But if you pour your value into a kettle, then when their business or life heats up, they're going to whistle and they're going to remember the value you poured in them and whistle about you. And that's really how I started my business on storytelling and podcast launches, just by the opportunities that I poured value into kettles instead of sieves. And how can you identify whether a person is a sieve or a kettle and how quickly can you do it? That's hard. That's really hard. In fact, when I first started in podcasting, especially with a ministry background, money wasn't my primary objective. It never has been. You know, that wasn't just something that I had to think about. So I was giving away freely to anybody who was asking for it. And what I realized very quickly is there's more sieves out there than there are kettles. There are a lot of people that want and need things, but they don't really realize the value you're pouring into them. So you start to realize very quickly after you've poured hundreds of hours into sieves, you start to realize very quickly how kettles react almost instantly to what you give them. Not only will they be thankful for it, they'll immediately be thankful for it. They'll share it with their friends or connections. They'll make sure that people know who you are and what you're about because you've helped them. You've genuinely given them value and they appreciate it immediately. And if they don't appreciate that type of thing immediately, sometimes it takes people a little longer to boil. Honestly, there are some kettles that aren't in a position to to whistle right now, but they're still thankful. And even if they have no resources, they have no connections at that point in time, you see in their life, this bubbling, this heating, this hustling, whatever you want to call it, you see it in their life that they're bubbling, they're brewing. And one day they will be a kettle and they will whistle about what you shared with them. Right. And then you are able to then 
just move forward and offer what you offer and then it all works out because I know that you're not mercenary. I know that you're not always thinking about the dollar. That's not why you are the su- successful man you are, right? You just you just allow things to happen. Would that be a good description that you allow this all to happen? You know, yeah, it's you, again, it, it comes back to intentionality. You've got to be intentional about how you pour your life into others. But I don't expect people to whistle about me. I don't expect people to give back to me. But I want to make sure that when I freely give, that I know that I'm giving to somebody who respects and honor the value that I'm pouring into them. That's the difference. It's not about expecting to get something back. It's about knowing when people respect what you give and value and give it to them. And sometimes you can just feel that in a person, can't you? You definitely can. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, and at first, honestly, I wasn't very good at it. Um, and I think it does have to go back to my ministry background because there are a lot of people in ministry or that need ministry, uh, you know, ministers that are sieves. They just need somebody to pour and pour and pour into them. But the reality is that sometimes that never comes to fruition. Nothing comes to fruition from that. So let's find out what happened later. So you were helping, you were helping, well, first of all, you were doing voiceovers and then you started helping others. And that's really your thing, isn't it? Just helping others, helping others. And that's what's made life work for you. Is that right? Oh, I love to help people tell their story. If there's anything that I love in this world, Bruce, it's to help people craft and hone a beautiful story. Because there's so many people that have these great stories inside them, but they have no way to tell them with eloquence or with uh, conciseness. And so their story gets lost in the muddle of noise that we have in this world. So if you don't tell your story in a great way, it doesn't matter if it's a great story. So let's dig into this a little deeper. Do you believe that when you tell your story, there are other benefits besides just the fact that it can help boost your business? Oh, most definitely. You know, the opportunity to share my story and to help others share theirs, it's about intimacy. It's about connection. It's not about, at the end of the day, making a dollar, even though many times when you tell your story, you do get that business. But at the end of the day, it's about an intimate connection with another human being. You see, that's why I love podcasting, too, because it is. It's about intimate connections with others. It's intimacy. It's not about just getting business. It's about making a connection point that a thread in each other's hearts and lives that could never be made otherwise. And that is the power of podcasting and the power of story. It's about being intimate and being vulnerable. And how do we reach that fine line where we're vulnerable but not too vulnerable? Oh, that's a good one because you can get your heart torn out these days. Yes. Especially, it's tough. And that is, that's a difficult one, Bruce. And honestly, I'm not sure that I figured out the exact trick to that because there are times that I still get bruised and beaten sometimes by being vulnerable. But I will tell you this, that there is no hero in a story if they don't have a flaw. And if that flaw is that I'm too vulnerable so be it. Because that at least lets people into my lives and they know who I am. And ultimately, even if I do get crushed and hurt along the way, or if other people do, you know, that are too vulnerable, 
at least that's a great part of the whole adventure narrative. Oh, yes. Well, intimacy, vulnerability. Let's go one step further and talk about authenticity, because that has to be a piece of this puzzle. How do we achieve true authenticity that is really going to come across to the other person? Oh, that's a good one. And authenticity these days is a buzzword. Yes. And so it's got to be treated very carefully, in my opinion, because authenticity, people say, oh, I want to be authentic. Yeah, everybody says that now. But how are you truly authentic? The only way that you can be authentic is to actually let people see your flaws. Let them see where you've been weak. Let them see who you really are on the inside. And that is not easy. It is not easy. You know, this whole journey that I've been on, I wish I could say it was a piece of cake that, oh, yeah, I went from full-time ministry to full-time voiceover work and then full-time podcasting and storytelling. But there have been so many bumps along the way, so many times that I've asked myself, what on earth have I done to myself and to my family? But ultimately, you know, if I'm not real with you, Bruce, if I'm not real with others about this, this is, it's a struggle. It's, 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 it's going through the painful process. It's, but it's, it's real. Tell me about one of those painful processes that you did come through and how mindfulness or in your case, prayer, meditation, mindfulness helped you through it. Most definitely. So I told you that I poured into a lot of sieves. A lot of sieves. Yes. And I got to the point that we were going down in debt and down in a hole of debt. We were getting crushed financially because I was pouring all my value into people that were not responding to that value. And so here I was. I had a family now of four. And here we were going down into debt, getting crushed by pouring value into others and not receiving anything back in any form. And it was very difficult. And I didn't understand what I needed to do because I've always been taught you give to receive. And it was not always that it's about getting to receive stuff, but it's, it's that mentality of giving, giving, giving. And that's when I came out with that concept of sieve and kettle that I started to realize there are two different people. When I really started to pour into other individuals' lives, though, there was a mastermind that I created. And this mastermind, there are still people in that mastermind that I created that at the beginning there that are dear, dear friends. And we work together to this day. And I started pouring my life and my heart into them. And they did the same for me. Mm-hmm. We started pouring into each other's lives, sharing those intimate moments of destruction, but also of, of happiness and joy and success. We started sharing contacts and connection points. We started building each other up. And that base, that mastermind base that I created several years ago has blossomed into something that in my business that I I can't even begin to describe to you, Bruce, what it did for me by pouring into those individuals. Because here I was broken, broken. And I shared that flaw with people. I shared that with my mastermind. And when I shared that, then they started to go, okay, we get your background. We get that you give to people. But here, let us help you in the right direction. And I did the same thing for them in different ways. And because of that, now I am in a position that I can charge a premium for what I do 
because of pouring my life into just a select few individuals at the beginning. Wow. So your mastermind is just a glowing, glowing star in your life right now. It's just really working for you. Is that right? Oh, it's huge. But the thing is, is that mastermind's gone, but we're still dear friends and we still do business together. And so I create masterminds at select times in my life. At different times, I'll create a mastermind for a season. It doesn't have to be for years or decades. It can be for a season that you pour your life and heart into somebody else. You pour your story into them and they pour their story into you and you will see the evidence of what intimacy can really do and the power of story in those instances. Can you tell us about one person and how you help them in this mastermind? Oh, most definitely. Joel Bogus and I are friends. Okay. And Joel and I have completely different tactics. It's just the funniest thing. He is a social media guy. He's into marketing. Everything that he does is stuff that I am terrible at, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not my thing. So Joel is focused on getting people to number one in you and know where they right now. That's his thing. But he also wants to help people launch podcasts. Now, he didn't have the resources or time to actually do that. But over the last few years, I developed a team to actually take care of everything that it takes to launch a podcast. The only thing that I didn't have is that element of marketing. Okay? Yes. So now... Who doesn't, who's, who's it makes sense for him to work with the person that's poured value into him as a kettle and vice versa. He's poured value into me. And so Joel and I work on a monthly basis. We work with several different people. We've worked with number one New York Times bestselling authors. In fact, we do that just about every single month. Authors seem to be really attractive, but we work with nonprofits. We're developing a show right now called uh, Trail Angels with a nonprofit uh, called Project Athena that helps women that have survived cancer or amputations, and they become not just survivors, but they thrive. They actually go through the Grand Canyon from rim to rim to rim, and they go on all sorts of adventures, and now they're going to have a podcast, and we get to help them launch this show. Wow, how exciting, how exciting, and I just love Joel Bogus and his relaunch podcast. He has such a unique way with his guests, and he obviously researches very thoroughly, and then the questions he comes up with are just dynamite. I just love how he relates to to people, but then you do too. You have that ability as well. Well, he is spectacular at lifting others up in a just a unique way, and I've always appreciated Joel for that. And he has. He's lifted me up in the same way. And that's that's one instance of a mastermind member that we pour into each other's lives, and that has brought us a great deal of business mutually. Yes. And so it sounds like your life is pretty good now, Ryan. And then a, plus, I know you have another project which you're excited about, and that lifts you up as well. Oh, most definitely. Because this is about my story. Because ultimately, I'm a fat middle aged guy with a young family ready to recapture an adventurous life. And I am uh, creating a podcast that is telling that story. So I con- I've contacted uh, adventure companies all around the country, and ultimately it'll be all around the world. And I say, hey, listen, I would love 
to be a part of your adventure. And for that, I will give you a plug on my show and I will share the adventure of what a young dad can do, even though he found himself sit, sitting in front of the TV, <laughs> fat, bored, and not knowing what he was doing with his life. It's so funny, the picture that you're painting, because, you know, it really is exciting, but it's just that it's not a story that I would really think of, that would really jump into my mind. So, wow, this is going to be a fascinating podcast, and I know you've already started it. It's great. Well, thank you so much. And yes, I actually am kind of intentional about uh, creating a lot of the story before I ever launch the story. That way there's that narrative that people can continue on with and have a little fun with. But yeah, people don't expect it from me. You know, I'm a big guy with glasses. They don't expect me to be the guy that wrestles 11 foot alligators, but that's exactly (laughs) what I've done. And I've gone to do so many great things, not just by myself, but with my kids. Bruce, I can't tell you what kind of adventures we've had as a family because of this. And that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted to make sure that I was living that adventure narrative. Because again, it's, it is, it's not just about helping others tell their story. I need to have a story of my own as well. Well, of course. And you really do have a story. I mean, not everybody wrestles alligators, that's for sure. Yeah. Who knew? This is the funniest part. Do you know where those are located? No, I don't. The Colorado Rockies. Why they put them there, I'll have no idea. But they're in a hot springs in the middle of the Colorado Rockies. They have this alligator farm. It's just the craziest thing on earth. Well, and maybe that's why it works because it's something you just don't expect. <laughs> You're probably right, and it just it, it tickles me to this day that they put that uh, that location and put those animals there. It's wild. Well, it really is. Rye, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Oh, I would definitely say that Corey Ten Boom is somebody that has influenced it, and she's no longer with us. But she was an amazing woman who survived the Holocaust and uh, in the concentration camps. And she is a spectacular, spectacular example of a person that can achieve great things, even though they've had a horrendous story to deal with. Wow. Rye, how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, it's given me hope. Bruce, it's given me dreams. It's given me possibilities. Never in a million years would I have told you that I was living an adventure narrative with my family and ever thought that was possible just a few years ago. But now, because of prayer and mindfulness, it's given me the opportunity to dream beyond anything that I ever could have thought of. Wow, you are inspiring. Rai, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. You know, breathing is something I've never really focused on, honestly, and it's something that I probably should focus on because it gives you an opportunity to just be still. And I told you that I did seek that still, small voice of God, and if I had that in my life, I have a feeling it would be a a lot easier to get to that moment. Yes, If you could recommend a book on mindfulness or related to it, what would that book be? Honestly, I would check out Corey Ten Boom's biography. She, uh, of course, helped write this. She She wasn't the main writer, but it is her story, and I know that she was a big part of this project. And it's actually called The Hiding Place. 
And it is a beautiful book of her whole story of uh, living amongst, uh, amongst the, the Third Reich and dealing with what the Nazis threw at her and her family and ultimately ending up in a concentration camp and finding out how she overcame all that pain, all that struggle. And uh, it's a beautiful story. I'll put that on my own reading list for sure. I have not read that, Rye. Rye, can you tell us an app which you think would help others be more mindful? Maybe you use it or maybe you know about it? There's so many apps that I use. Oh, I do know one. This actually helps me each and every day. This is how I stay productive in my day when I'm trying to create an overall picture of something. And it goes back to being mindful. It's called a mind map, and the app is called Mind Node N O D E, and it is. Uh, if you're not familiar with mind mapping, it is a different way to create an organizational structure. Instead of going in a Roman numeral uh, uh, situation or a setup, you know, one two three, you actually go around a dial like a clock, and it's uh, very vivid in colors and pictures, and it's it's always helped me be very mindful. Cool. Rye, what advice would you give a person who's new to the idea of mindfulness and would like to start using it in their life? I would definitely encourage you just to be still. It is so hard in this life, in this day and age, to cut off the noise. I would encourage you to actually go somewhere where you don't have cell phone service, where you can hear the breeze, you can hear the wind in the trees. Just take a moment, and it's going to take you a while to actually be quiet in your own mind. But take those moments, realize that the world is much bigger than you are, and just listen. I just love it. I just love it. And and just hearing you describe it almost makes me just want to jump into that place right now. Rye, it has just been fantastic to spend this time with you today. And Rye, I'm just wondering, how can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and possibly connect with you? Well, I would love to connect with any of your tribe. And you can go to rytaylor.com. That's just R-Y-E, taylor.com. And you can find all my resources there. Or if you're interested in story, just go to storypopstudios.com. Storypopstudios.com. Okay, that's great. That's great. I know you've got some terrific content out there. and It's been fantastic spending this time with you, like I said, Rye. So thanks so much for this. And I hope to talk to you again soon. It's been a pleasure, Bruce. I appreciate this opportunity. Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.